And you're going to know definitively that I rule in this world. In verse 25, the end part of that verse, it says, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And so what does that mean to us? We don't want to walk in haughtiness. We don't want to walk in arrogance. We don't want to be prideful. We want to make sure that we're walking in humility, recognizing that the gifts that we have have been given to us by God. And with those gifts, we want to, u- we want to be used by God to serve him. And so do we ever disobey the government or for that matter, any authority? And I say, we have to. If they come in conflict with the revealed will of God. Let me read you Acts chapter 5. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write down Acts chapter 5 verses 28 and 29. But let me read it to you. Acts 5. I'm sorry, Acts 4 first. And then we'll go to 5. Acts 4 verses 18 through 20. The Bible says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Who are they referring to? These are the religious leaders speaking to the apostles. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And then in Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, the Bible says, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And so when do we not obey the governing authorities? When do we not obey the law? Again, only when it comes in direct conflict with the scriptures. God has called us to preach the gospel. When the government says you cannot preach the gospel, then we obey God and know that safest place in the world, center of God's will. That if we're in the center of God's will and this is what he called us to, then we'll be okay. And even if we are martyred, so be it. Every single one of the apostles but John would be martyred for their faith. And we are called to be martyrs, actually, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be witnesses. The the word witness is martyrs. We're called to be, we're not called to go out and witness. We're called to be a witness. We're called to die for our faith. Die to self and, and die a physical death if it needs to be. It's not, we're not there anywhere close in this country. In Canada right now, you cannot preach. In fact, if a pastor goes in from America, he has to sign a document that says, I will not preach. Uh, against homosexuality. And there's another thing, I forgot what it was, that he's not allowed to preach on. And so he can't preach out of Romans chapter 1. He can't preach out of uh, other scriptures, 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 6, because that is going to come against homosexuality. And so it's, it's, it's coming. It's coming where, you know, the government is, is more and more being intrusive in the church and saying that we can't do certain things. And so we're going to have a choice to make in those moments at, the, at that time. But what I love about that is it's, it sifts out the posers. It, it sifts out the people who are playing church because if you're going to die for your faith, I don't know if I really believe this. This is getting kind of crazy serious. Okay, go home. Go home. Go eat your food. Go watch TV. 
And it's, it's just going to bring the church and it's going to purify the church and it's going to cause the church to, to be real and strong. And you look at what God was able to do with 11 men in the first century AD. Did you, did you notice that verse? You have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine after we told you to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And then what would happen? They would go out to the known world and the gospel would be presented to the known world with 11 guys. And guys, we're a little more than 11. And I see where we're at. And God just wants us to be busy about his business. Get out there and to get it on for Jesus in these last days. Eyes focused on him. So do we ever disobey the government? Absolutely. When it comes in, again, direct conflict with the revealed word of God. And we need to be careful with that because a lot of times we think we have the concepts down. Well, well, they said they're taking too much money from the taxes. And I just don't agree. No, 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 not things like that. We're, we're called to pay our taxes. And we're going to see that clearly as we, as we move on. Jesus would say in Mark 12, 17, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when did he do that? He did that when he was, they were trying to trick him. Should we pay taxes? Jesus says, bring me a denarius. Whose image? Whose image is on the front of a denarius? I love Jesus when he does these things. Because they're, they're trying to toy with him. They're trying to trick Jesus. And he says, well, whose image is that? Caesar's? Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God whose image you are made in. Render to God the things that belong to God. I like that. In John chapter 19, I want to read you this. It's uh, that moment when Pilate is before Jesus, or Jesus is before Pilate. And he's brought from one of the other magistrates to uh, Pilate. And Pilate has this authority. And Pilate thinks that his authority is his own. And so in John chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Notice Jesus' response. He says, Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And so Jesus is telling him, God, you have no power unless God gave it to you. God gave, that, gave you that power. I think of um, probably one of the most corrupt governments that ever existed, that of Hitler in Germany, 19, late 30s into 1940s, and the atrocities that Hitler did and how could God use or ordain an individual like that? How could God give an individual like that power? God is more interested on eternal things than he is on the temporal things. And God, in, in prophecy, has said that the, Israel na the, the nation of Israel will again become a nation. And so imagine, I don't know, I look at it like kind of just taking a, a, a fistful of sand and just casting it to the wind and watching it just disperse. And the impossibility of the nation of Israel after 70 AD, who was dispersed throughout the whole world, and for almost 2,000 years until May 14, 1948, God would take every single one of those grains of sand, pick them up and bring them back, and you have a nation all over again. How was he able to do that? 
For the first time in world history, the League of Nations was sensitive to the plight of the Jews. From what? From the atrocities of what they saw. Sandals, shoes piled up, false teeth piled up of all the Jews that had been taken to the slaughter. All the Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. And you had world sentiment towards the Jews for the first time in the last time in all of history. And the League of Nations says, yeah, let's give them back their home. Let's just let them go back to Israel. You know, no big deal. Look at everything they've been through. And now we see the prophetic calendar once again started and the last days and all of those eschatological, eschatology things, those things, those end time things in the Bible now beginning to just again take place. So God can use even an evil government like that in the world to, uh, to do what he wants to do. Amen? All right, let's go on now. Verse 2. Now we'll go a little faster. I promise. <laughs> Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, because of this... You must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their taxes, all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so he's saying, this is what I'm putting out. I set the authorities up. And as my children, not being a part of this world, I want my children to be obedient to the authorities that exist because I set those authorities up. I want my children to be law-abiding citizens. I don't want them finagling things. I don't want them playing games. I want them to simply obey the authorities that have been set up in their lives. Um, I think of church authority, and I think of where we've come from and I, I look at, you know, as you study church history and you see the apostolic church and you see people uh, belong to a church and that was a healthy thing. And today a lot of people just, they, they just either church hop, they go from church to church, they don't have a church home. And I think of the detriment that that is because where's the accountability on both ends? Where's the ability for them to hold the body of Christ accountable? And where's the accountability for themselves? And I don't know, I, I have this mixed emotions about accountability. Accountab accountability only works to the degree that we're willing to be held accountable. A lot of people will elevate accountability, but if you're not willing to be held accountable, look at how spread out we are. We just, you know, you have your little house way over there, I have my house way over there, and, you know, when are we a community? When we come together in the church. And when we don't see you, we miss you. And, and, and if we call you, sometimes, why are they calling me? What's going on? Why are they all up in the business, you know? And you're thinking, well, aren't we supposed to in love, just lovingly look out for one another? 
Am I my brother's keeper? Cain would say, actually, you're supposed to be, Cain. You're supposed to be your brother's keeper. You're supposed to look out for your little brother. You weren't supposed to kill him. So, yeah, we, we are. <laughs> the answer to that question was supposed to be, yeah, you are. You are your brother's keeper. So he's saying all of these things God has set up, and he wants us to submit to those. Then that word at the, the last verse, he says, Render therefore to all their due taxes, to whom taxes, those are our regular income tax that we pay, pay annually. Customs, to whom customs, that would be like um, our um, sales tax, in addition to Fear to whom fear, um, honor to whom honor. If you're driving on the freeway and you see off to the right a CHP officer, what is the first thing you do? You look at your speedometer. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. Everything's cool. Everything's cool. Everything's working. All right, I'm kind of, okay, I'm all right. If, you're, if your speedometer for whatever got stuck on a high number, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, he's not going to pull me over, right? And so there's, there's just this check and balance that takes place with the authorities that God has set up. And I... I like that. Let's go on now, this next section, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Some people have used this verse wrongly to say that you can't have a mortgage, you can't have a car payment, you can't have a credit card. Um, Within the context of what he's saying, that's not what's being said. But the book of Proverbs does say, be careful with debt. Because that individual that is borrowing is a slave to the one that's lending. And so as Christians, again, we want to be wise stewards of what God has given us. And here's the problem. We get so bogged down with debt because we want to live a lifestyle that God probably hasn't called us to. And we think that it's going to bring something to our life. Well, it does bring something to our life. What does it bring? It brings debt. And it brings bondage. And so now we're having to work overtime, we're paying extra, and our whole lives are consumed with paying off this lifestyle that God probably never never even intended for us to have in the first place. So be careful with debt and, and, you know, wisely, you know, with your funds. God has given us just incredible dignity to say, here's a job for you, here's your finances, go ahead and be responsible with it, enjoy it. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Be blessed with it. But be careful. Proverbs, a lot of wisdom. And it's always talking about money and what we're supposed to do with money, what we're not supposed to do with money. So we need to be careful with that. Um, so we're to owe nothing to no one except to love one another. If I'm, if I'm in debt, I want to be indebted to love you more. I want to be indebted to know that you are loved. If I'm going to make a sacrifice, that sacrifice is on your behalf so that you know that you're loved. And so if that's going to be our debt, he's saying, let's, that's where we should be, uh, you know, indebted. For he who loves one another, again, has fulfilled the law. Verse 9, for the commandments, and again, this is the second tablet. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul would, like Jesus, take the negative commandments, don't, 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 and he's going to turn it around on its head and say, here's the positive. You have all of these negative commandments. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Oh, you want it in positive form? Do this, love. If you're loving your neighbor, you're not going to be committing adultery. You're not going to be stealing from them. You're not going to be lying to them. You're not going to be doing all of these things 
So just, you could either not do these things or you can come over here and just say, I'm just going to love you. I'm going to love you right, the way the Bible declares. Love does no harm, verse 10 says, to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, last section, verses 11 through 14. And do this knowing that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. And so our first admonition in light of all of that he said, wake up. Wake up, church. Stop sleeping. Stop with the lukewarmness. Stop with the one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Stop with one foot on the boat, one foot on the dock. Boat's leaving. Whoa, splits. You can only split for so long, huh? He's saying, just wake up. Wake up. Check the times out that we're living in. Take a look at what's going on in the world. Look at the evil. Look at the amount of people that need to hear the gospel. How sad it was to hear. How long ago? I don't know. I think I heard it for the first time 11, 12 years ago that the other continents of the world were sending missionaries where? To America. Because there are people here who haven't heard the gospel. I'm offended by that. I'm offended. Like we're not doing our job, church. If they got to send missionaries here, where are the Christians? That's like somebody coming into my house and taking my daughter and taking her belt off and whipping them and saying, behave. Whoa, that's my job. Did they do something I didn't catch? What's going on? You just came into my house and did what I was supposed to be doing. That's the same exact thing. If they're sending missionaries to America, it's because the church isn't doing what we're supposed to be doing. And what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be light and salt for this world. Salt is a preserving agent, and we're salt, and we're supposed to make people thirsty for the things of God through our lifestyle, that they look at us and say, wow, I don't know what you got, but I want some of that. Through a life of purity. Guys, remember this. Purity is power. Purity is power. Why is the church impotent? Why is it powerless? Because we're not pure. We're dabbling with the world. We're fooling around with things that we don't need to be fooling around with. Purity is power. And God wants to use us in these last days. So the first admonition, wake up. Verse 12, he's going to see our, our second one, dress up. Verse 12 says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And so we're taking off the works of darkness and we're putting on the works of light. Next, in verse 13, he's going to say, clean up. In verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus, whoa, whoa, 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. In those things we need to clean up. Here's the problem as you stay in the church for any small length of time. You begin to read the Bible and you begin to see I have these incredible liberties in Jesus Christ and I can do stuff. I have freedom in Jesus Christ. I can drink. Bible says I can't drink. I just can't get drunk. So I can drink. And we have these liberties and we take them and we just think, and what happens? We, we come in bondage to our liberties. God didn't give us the liberty so that we can be bondaged again. He gave us this freedom and this liberty so that we can rejoice in what he set us free from. I love how Pastor Chuck Smith put it. He says, we have the freedom in Christ, the liberty to not drink as well as the liberty to drink. I'm going to exercise my liberty not to drink. I'm just going to take that because God has given me power where before I didn't have power. 
I was a slave to my flesh. I was a slave to sin. And I couldn't help but sin. As good as I wanted to be, I had no choice. But when Jesus came into my life, he set me free from the power of sin. And now I make a conscious choice to sin. I don't have to. And so I like that idea to exercise your liberty and not. But that's legalism. No, it's smart. It's wisdom. But you can drink. if you Verse 14. Last one. Grow up. Verse 14, he says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. That word lust is desires. Your flesh has desires. If you feed it, you will see that your flesh will be a monster that is out of control. If you starve it, that's the recipe, then you'll be doing a good job. Starve the flesh. Do not feed the appetites and the desires of the flesh. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Wake up, dress up, clean up, grow up in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again, Lord. We thank you that it is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. And we just thank you, Lord, that you give us these things, these admonitions, these rebukes, these corrections, these exhortations. Father, in light of all that you have done for us, it is our reasonable response, Lord, to walk in obedience to the things that you are calling us to. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to be with us. Help us in the areas that we need help. Be with us, Father, as we look to you. Bless the rest of our time as we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.